I hope you have your Bibles with you and open the Bible to the book of Jonah, the Old Testament book of Jonah. If you're not sure where that is, uh, go to the book of Matthew. You probably can find that one. Go to the left, about eight books. They're short books, though, and you'll come to the book of Jonah. On Sunday nights, we are working our way through the book of Jonah in a study called The God of Second Chances. And this morning, we're going to be looking at a couple of verses in chapter 2, and then we're going to finish chapter 2 uh, tonight in our Bible study at 6 o'clock this evening. Now, since some of you haven't been here on Sunday nights, I thought I'd take a moment just to kind of let you catch up where we've been and what we've talked about. Uh, probably when we say the, the word Jonah, the name Jonah, everybody has heard of Jonah. Uh, even people who never read the Bible know the story of Jonah and the... Except it probably wasn't a whale, but they know that. Uh, the Bible calls it a great fish. But Jonah is a great story, but it's more than just a story. You see, the story of Jonah is our story. Jonah is like us. He struggled in obeying God. He knew what God wanted him to do, but he didn't want to do it. He treated God as an optional thing. He tried in vain to run from God. He rebelled against God's will. He's a lot like us. And you know the story. He got on a ship sailing for Tarshish, and he actually went in the opposite direction of where God wanted him to go. God wanted him to go to Nineveh to the east, and he went toward Tarshish to the west. Nineveh was about 350 miles away, uh, and he went about 1,200 miles away, or at least attempted to. That's why in Jonah chapter, chapter 1, Jonah finds himself in a massive storm. Look in the Word of God. Chapter 1, we'll go there just to rehearse where we've been. Verse 11. The sea was getting rougher and rougher, so they asked him, they asked Jonah, the sailors asked Jonah, what should we do to you to make the sea calm down for us? Pick me up and throw me into the sea, he replied, and it will become calm. I know that it is my fault that this great storm has come upon you. Down in verse 15, Then they took Jonah and threw him overboard, and the raging sea grew calm. At this the men greatly feared the Lord, and they offered a sacrifice to the Lord and made vows to him. But the Lord provided a great fish to swallow Jonah. And Jonah was inside the fish three days and three nights. Now, get this picture. He's thrown overboard. He's facing certain death in the open sea. And then we see this verse of grace in verse 17. But the Lord provided a great fish to swallow Jonah. That great grace of God. The Lord provided a great fish to swallow Jonah. And the Bible says he spent three days and three nights in the belly of that fish. Now, again, this is review for some of you. Uh, for some of you, this is new information, but I need to address this one issue because when you read this story, some of you think, oh, well, Pastor, you don't really believe that happened, do you? I mean, this is just an allegory, right? This is just symbolic, right? It, it, it's a story. It's a good story, but it's just a symbolic story. He didn't really, literally, spend three days in the belly of the fish. And three, no, I mean, nobody can do that. You don't really believe that, do you? And here's my answer for you. Yes, I absolutely believe it. And I find it very easy to believe it. Now, let me explain to you why. Um, well, at least one of the reasons why. We have a deacon in our church named Rodney Bridges who's a Great guy, faithful servant of the Lord. But Rodney Bridges not only serves his church, at one time he served our country in the U.S. Navy. And in the U.S. Navy, he was placed in a metal fish called a nuclear submarine. 
And he went under the water and stayed under the water for 29 days in the belly of that nuclear submarine, that metal fish. Now, I would submit to you that if the U.S. government can do something right and keep somebody down the water alive for 29 days, that Almighty God shouldn't have a problem with keeping somebody under the water for three days. Just a thought. So I believe that Jonah literally was in the belly of a fish for three days and three nights. Now, here are some questions that ran through my mind as I was studying this and just trying to put myself in the story. Questions that really don't have any answers but are intriguing to think about. Questions like, did Jonah see the fish coming? When he was swimming and trying to keep his head above water, when he was under the water, when he was sinking, did he see the fish coming? If he did, can you imagine how terrifying that would have been? Question number two. What did it feel like to be swallowed by a fish? I mean, how many ever had that experience, you know? We don't know. What, what did it feel like all of a sudden just to be swallowed by a fish? Question number three. What did it smell like in the belly of the fish? Bad, absolutely. Here, here's a question, that, and I've really pondered this one for a good while this week. When he was in the belly of the fish, did he have room to sit up? Or did he just have to kind of lay down in the mess? You know, Could, could he prop himself up and, and lean against the sticky wall? Or was he just laying down in the mess of it all? Now, those of you who are fishermen, and, and you know when you catch fish, you've got a clean fish. And if you ever clean fish, then you've got fish guts on your hand, right? Have you ever had fish guts in your hand? It's awful. Smells awful. Feels awful. It's awful to have fish guts in your hand. What would it be like to be in the gut of a fish? just can't imagine, can you? Three days, three nights, in the gut of a fish. You can almost feel sorry for him now, can't you? Almost feel sorry for him for these three miserable days and nights he had to spend in the belly of a fish. Imagine Jonah sitting there or laying there, whichever it was, in this smelly, awful, pitch-black prison in darkness with the only thing that you have with you is your regrets. For three days and three nights, the odor... For three days and three nights, the darkness. For three days and three nights, the uncertainty of it. For three days and three nights, not knowing what's going to happen. For three days and three nights, you sit there or you lay there with your regrets. My guess is some of you know what that's kind of like. Oh, you've not been in the belly of a fish, but you made a decision and you took a course of action and you had no idea how badly things were going to turn out. You had no idea what it was going to cost you. You had no idea where it was all going. I mean, if you had thought it through, if you had taken the time to think it through, or if you could somehow see where it was all going to lead, you never would have done what you did. But you didn't think it through. You took a course of action, and now you sit there with a lot of regrets trying to figure out what to do next. Well... Jonah experienced that, that total darkness for three days and three nights. And, and what did he do next? Very interesting. Chapter 2, verse 1 is where we pick up the story. Chapter 2, verse 1, here's what we find out. From inside the fish, Jonah prayed to the Lord his God. <laughs> Talk about an understatement. 
I, I, I think that would be pretty obvious, right? From inside the fish, Jonah prayed to the Lord his God. But I think that's so interesting when you look at this text. It says from inside the fish. It doesn't just say that Jonah prayed to the Lord his God. But it says from inside the fish, Jonah prayed to the Lord his God. And then in other translations, it's even more direct. In the uh, King James Version, in a few other translations, it says, Then Jonah prayed from inside the fish to the Lord his God. And that word then is a significant word signifying a, a, a passing of time. Then Jonah prayed. And I find that so intriguing because, as far as we can tell, Jonah didn't do any praying on the way down to Joppa. As far as we can tell, he didn't do any praying when he was buying the ticket and saying, Lord, which ship should I get on to go towards Tarshish? As far as we can tell, he didn't do any praying during that time. And in fact, when you get to uh, chapter 1 and the storm scene in chapter 1, everybody on the boat is praying except Jonah. But now, now in the belly of the fish, it says, and then Jonah prayed to the Lord as God. So in chapter 1, he didn't want anything to do with God, didn't want anything to do with prayer. And in chapter 2, when you start reading chapter 2, Every word that Jonah says in chapter 2 is a prayer. Jonah did what some of you need to do. From inside the fish, Jonah prayed to the Lord as God. You, you know what it's like to be in a position where you can't fix it now. You know what it's like to be in a position where the only thing left to do is to pray. Now, if you think you've gone too far to cry out to God now, you need to read verse 2 very carefully. We read verse 1, but look at verse 2. Verse 2 says, He said, In my distress, I called to the Lord, and He answered me. Now, if you've got a pen or pencil handy, I would encourage you to underline, In my distress. Those three words are very significant. In my distress. And you might want to write in the column of your Bible, just over there in the column, just a little note to help you understand what He means by in my distress. Put in parentheses, of my own making. In my distress, of my own making. That's the way you could translate that word. In my distress, of my own making. This is not, well, I was teaching BSF, and I was serving the Lord, and tragedy struck our family, and I cried out to the Lord in my distress. That's not the kind of distress he's talking about here. We know we can call out to God at those times. We naturally call out to God in that kind of distress. This is not, I was a faithful husband and a loving father, and then I got cancer, and in my distress, I cried out to the Lord. That's not the kind of distress Jonas is talking about. We know we can call out to God at that time. We know that God invites us to His throne of grace in those times. No, this is talking about those times when we are in the mess of our own making. You see, in chapter 1, verse 12, Jonas says, it's my fault. It's my fault. It was a mess of his own making. And the distress that he was in was well-deserved. You see, when we are in a mess of our own making, those are times that we sometimes will make a critical miscalculation. When you are in a mess of your own making, if you're not careful, you'll make a very costly miscalculation. In fact, you might make one of two. The first one is this. It's the miscalculation of looking at your situation and saying, well, I can't call on God now because of the way I've lived. Yes, I'm in a mess. Yes, it's a mess of my own making. And I can't call on God now because of the way that I've lived. 
God wouldn't want anything to do with me now. God wouldn't want to have anything to do with me now. The problem with some people is that they're too proud. They're too proud to pray in their distress. It's like, well, I got myself into this mess. I didn't call on Him before. I'm not going to be a hypocrite and call on Him now. It's a miscalculation. The second miscalculation is this. Sometimes people say, this is a mess of my own making, and I've got to get myself out of it. I made the mess. I've got to get myself out of it. I'll tell you, listen to me carefully. That's very good advice for a seven-year-old. What do you mean, Pastor? Well, son, you made the mess. Pick up your toys. Put it away. You made the mess. Clean it up. Or, son, you broke it. Pick it up. Clean it up. You made the mess. Pick it up. Clean it up. Very good advice for a seven-year-old. But, what if... What if you've gotten in a mess you can't clean up? You see, if you think about it in these terms, you might just need a little bit more help than what you can do. In fact, if you could clean it up, you probably wouldn't have gotten in the mess to begin with. So Jonah says, in my distress, in this mess of my own making, I cried out to the Lord. You see, sometimes we make a miscalculation and say, this is my mess. I've got to clean it up. But if you keep trying to clean up your own mess, more than likely, you're going to make things worse. Uh, I'll show you what I'm talking about here. How many have ever spilled a gallon of paint or a can of paint when you're painting something and you knocked it over? Have you ever done that? Yeah, a lot of clumsy people here today. I've done it too, and it's awful, isn't it? It's awful. If you knock over a can of paint, I'm telling you what. What's your first inclination? When you knock over a can of paint, your first inclination is, I've got to grab a rag, and I've got to clean it up. And you are making it worse, aren't you? You're just spreading it everywhere. You're not cleaning it up. You're just spreading it. You're just making it worse. Now, it would be a lot better when you spilled the paint if you take the time to think, okay, what's the best way to handle this? By the way, in case you spill paint this week, let me help you. You can pour salt on it, a lot of salt, and that'll kind of help harden it so it's easier to pick up. Or or you can get cat litter and spread over it, and it'll soak it up. So if that happens this week, you just thank God for the preacher this week. He helped me. (laughs) Honey, we're going to go home, and we're going to stop by the store and get some cat litter on the way home because we're going to be painting this week. But that's not what I usually do. My first inclination, if I knock it over, grab a rag and start trying to clean it up, and I make the mess worse. Your first inclination in life sometimes, when you have a mess of your own making, I've got to clean it up. And you make the mess worse. What if instead of you jumping in and trying to clean it up yourself, what if you stopped and thought, what's the best way to handle this mess? What would be the best way to approach this mess? Then maybe you'd come to the same conclusion Jonah did. In my distress, in the mess of my own making, I cried out to the Lord. Don't you think that might be a better way to handle the mess you've made? You know, in my 27 years of pastoring, I've known a lot of Jonas. My 27 years of pastoring, I know a lot of Jonas who didn't want anything to do with God. 
until they were so desperate that they realized they needed God. I've seen moms and dads who were too busy for church and too busy for God until they found out that their son or daughter was hooked on drugs and suddenly in their distress they called on the Lord. I've seen men who were clueless that their marriage was falling apart. And they didn't care a whole lot about church or God or anything else until she walked out and left. And then in his distress, he called out to the Lord. I've seen businessmen who have their priorities all out of whack, all out of order, and their, their whole goal in life is to make it and to be rich. And they go after it and they work for it and they ignore God and everything else, their family and everything else. And then all of a sudden he loses his job and maybe almost loses his house. And in his distress, he calls out to the Lord. I've seen a lot of Jonas in 27 years. And that's not surprising. We know how that works, don't we? And I probably have been one of those Jonas. I, we know how it works. We, we keep doing our own thing, and then when we get in a, in a bind, and we can't fix it, and we can't overcome it, and we can't solve it, all of a sudden, now God has our attention. Now we're interested in God. And now in our distress, we call out to God. It's not surprising. We understand how that works. What is surprising is how God responds when we pray that way. Look in verse 2. In my distress, I called out to the Lord. And look at this, this next word. And He answered me. Isn't that beautiful? In my distress, in this mess of my own making, I called out to the Lord. And though I did not deserve it, He answered me. That, ladies and gentlemen, is grace. In my distress, in this mess of my own making, when everything was falling apart around me, I called out to the Lord, and He answered me. You see, here's the one point I want you to get today. Here's the one thing I want you to take home. Everybody look at the pastor. Everybody listen to me, because this is the one thing I don't want you to leave without getting this. And here it is. In your distress, I put it in this little sentence to help you remember it. Alright, you ready? In your distress, when you've made a mess... It's not too late to pray. In your distress, when you've made a mess, it's not too late to pray. It's never too late to let God in on your circumstances. It's never too late to be honest with God. It's never too late to cry out to God. It's never too late to invite God to help you in the mess that you've made. In fact, the second part of verse 2 says this, From the depths of the grave, I called out for help. And you listened to my cry. From the depths of the grave. Now, it depends on what translation you're using. Some of the translations, I believe King James is one of them, says, From the depth of hell, I cried out. The Old Testament word there is Sheol. From the depths of the grave, from the depths of hell, from the realm of the dead. You could translate it any of those three ways. In other words, Jonah was saying, when I was as good as dead, I cried out to God, and you helped me. It's never too late to, to ask God into your circumstances. Without any hope of ever getting better, without any hope of ever getting out of the fish's belly, in distress, in the mess of his own making, Jonah realized it's never too late. Jonah had gone a long way from God. 
But God had not gone a long way from him. Jonah had forsaken God. But God had not forsaken him. How do you know that, Pastor? Well, look in chapter 2, verse 1, one more time. I love a little phrase here, verse 1. From inside the fish, Jonah prayed to the Lord, what's the next two words? His God. From inside the fish, Jonah prayed to the Lord, His God. Don't miss that. If we're really God's children, He is still our Father, even when we're in the middle of a mess. All of, after all of your rebellion, after all of your running, after all of the things you've done wrong, after you have ruined things and you've made a mess of things, after keeping God at a safe distance in your life, if you ever knew Him, He's still your God. He's still your God. You don't deserve that, but He hasn't left you. You don't deserve that, but He hasn't forgotten you. You don't deserve that, but He hasn't given up on you. In fact, if you'll call out for help, you'll find what Jonah found. From the depths of the grave, when I was as good as dead, I, ca- I called for help, and you listened to my cry. It's never too late to pray. In your distress, when you've made a mess, it's never too late to pray. What would happen if you knew right here today if you just absolutely knew right here today that as you cry out to God for help, that He would listen. What would happen? How would it change, as, change you if right here today you knew you knew that if you cried out to God for help, He would be there. And He will. And that's the reason God's given us the story of Jonah. You see, as I told you earlier, this is our story. It's not just His story. The prayer that makes the difference is the prayer that Jonah prayed. So if you've been running from God and you know it, if you brought consequences on your own life through your own foolish actions and you know it, if you've made a mess of things and you're living in the mess even today, you can still cry out to Him. In your distress, And in the mess, it's never too late to pray. See, there's no better place to do that than right here. And there's no better time than right now. Amen? Why don't you bow your heads? We're going to offer the invitation. I want to pray with you and for you. But before I do, I, I just want to encourage you, not just to read the story, but to repeat it. I want to encourage you to live it out. The Bible says that the stories of the Old Testament are given as our examples, given as examples for us. Now maybe you can identify with Jonah because through your running and your rebellion and your resisting, you're ignoring God and God's will. You now sit there and say, Pastor Keith, my life is a mess. My marriage is a mess. Our finances are a mess. Our kids, our family, we're a mess. 
my own personal life, my private life, that part that nobody else knows, those thoughts that I have that nobody else knows about, I'm a mess. The addictions that I have, that I'm struggling with, I'm, I'm a mess. And it's a mess of my own making. And dear friend, in that distress, you can do what Jonah did. And cry out to the Lord. And He will answer you. There's no better place than here. And there's no better time than now. Father, I pray for these dear people who perhaps are sitting right now in the middle of a mess. And the distress they're under is is really justified. They've made poor decisions. They went down the wrong course, the wrong track, and, and they knew they were sinning. They knew they were running against Your will and leaving You. They knew it was wrong, and yet they did it anyway. And now, as they face Your discipline, as they face the consequences of their own foolishness, Father, I pray that you would, like Jonah, send them a fish called grace. That you would let them know that you will not forsake them even though they have forsaken you. That you still have something in store for them. That you still have a job for them. That you still have a plan for them. That you still want to use them. And I pray that in true repentance, they would call out to you and rely your grace in Jesus name I pray Amen